Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. That intro doesn't change very often, so I hope you know which episode you're listening to, which is the the one that's our five-year anniversary or something like that? Well, it's it's like three weeks past our five-year anniversary. But yeah, Sammy and I began this podcast back in 2016, which we realized today. And uh, we are commemorating it by talking about it thusly. And, and that's it, really. Um, before we go any further, I'd like Ben to talk about some of the recent publications he's written for. Ben, go for it. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Inside Hook, and Driving Line. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, TechSpot, and Nouveau Magazine. Ben, we've got some, we've got a lot of things to talk about today, okay? So uh, strap in, get ready, do all the things that you do to get prepared for, um, you know, a podcast where we have things to talk about. Really, it's just a lot of stretching and breathing exercises. Have you done all of them? I've done half of them because I'd like to give myself a little bit of a handicap to have something to overcome during the course of the course of the recording. Okay, well, I'm a striver, of- Sammy. I'm a striver. What can I say? Um, the the first car I want to talk about is one that I drove, and I don't think um, I will probably drive it again. I don't think um, I, I, I'm I'm almost certain that our listeners uh, don't have one of these in their driveway. It's the Rolls Royce Ghost Black Badge Edition. Black Badge is a is a specific trim level um, that Rolls Royce has created that they say brings out the a different lifestyle. They say this is for the people who live a different lifestyle at night. That's well, the reason okay. they bring those Black Badge into fruition. Right? I feel like you you can't just assume that people in our audience don't live a different lifestyle at night, Sammy. So like That's what maybe I said. I just don't know it does have a black badge ghost in their driveway. Don't put it past them. I mean, I guess I shouldn't make any assumptions. I think this is a very um it's a very curious vehicle. Like I, I don't know if it should be um spoken about. I don't know how much airtime we should be giving it because, you know, people who want a Rolls-Royce will get a Rolls-Royce. Um, the black badge models are designed to be a little bit edgier. Um, they present themselves in some way or another as more youthful, which I think is very interesting. Um, Rolls-Royce was very clear to say that um, all of their black badge models have, um, ever since the introduction of their black badge models in 2016, uh, the average age of their buyers has dropped considerably. Um, it is <laughs> now, it used to be 50, uh, now it's down to 43. And the average age of the black of a black badge owner is 42, which is a pretty decent number. So I just want to point out that maybe when the average age of your buyers starts to drop, it's because your very old buyers are dying. <laughs> yes, potentially. Like that, that could be part of it. But the other thing about vehicles that are oriented towards youthful buyers, and you know, we're, I, I'm, I'm talking in general, but here specifically, we're discussing something that costs, what, half a million dollars? Typically? No, come on. Hey, take it down a notch. The black badge... Uh, the Ghost Black Badge starts at three hundred and ninety-five thousand. Okay, yeah, and, and I'm although sure most you of can them... add one hundred and ten thousand in options, like uh, very quickly. Yeah, most of them apparently are configured between four hundred and thirty and four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Okay, so w- when you're talking about a vehicle that is aimed at young people, what yeah. that means in a marketing world is it's aimed at making older people feel younger. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> almost <laughs> always the case. 
So, I mean, we've talked about the ghost before earlier this year in April, and it was my first, um, ex- or maybe my second experience with the with the Rolls Royce badge. But the first time with a ghost, the ghost is a pretty solid um, luxury sedan. In fact, it's better than solid. I mean, it's a it's a fantastic car if you care about um, so, like quiet, uh, a quiet cabin, a smooth powertrain, uh, completely numb steering, and uh, and just feeling like the most baller person on the road. This car doesn't change that too dramatically. It uh, it has a little bit more more horsepower about. Um, 30 more horsepower and 30 more pound-feet of torque, or 40 more pound-feet of torque. It has a slightly different um, suspension setup. It also has some, you know, specific options. Like, for example, Rolls-Royce has decided that now on this 5,700-pound car that they're going to add some carbon fiber wheels to it, although not in the interest of saving weight, just in the interest of, I don't know, craftsmanship or something like that. These are... 22 layers of carbon fiber. They're folded on on top of each other, so 44 layers altogether. It's a really cool-looking wheel. Completely unnecessary, but, you know, that's what you get when you get a Rolls-Royce, right? Well, I mean, value and price are completely detached (laughs) once you get to this level. Uh, Most of... uh, A large chunk of what you're paying for is the ability to advertise what you can pay for. And that's neither here nor there. I'm not judging that in any way. But there, and also not to say that the Ghost is not a quality vehicle because I believe it is. Yeah. Uh, I've driven it and I feel the same way you do. But yeah, you start to buy things just because you can rather than because you need them. And so much of what happens in a Rolls Royce ordering experience, I think, stems from that type of motivation. Absolutely. Um, I want to add that. There is a there is a distinct style to these black badged vehicles. They you'll notice specifically that the 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 emblem, the, which is known as the Spirit of Ecstasy, um, as well as the like grill on all the black badge models have this very unique um, darkened chrome to them, and I think that's probably what attracts um, newcomers to the brand. Apparently, the, this black badge situation uh, or this black badge. Um, brand has really brought a lot of non-Rolls-Royce buyers to the brand. People who who used to have Ferraris, for example, and apparently that wasn't um, ro- there wasn't much crossover in that world. Uh, Rolls-Royce was very surprised in that in that um, in that data. I think that shows that people people had a conceive a preconceived notion of what Rolls-Royce was. It was it was an automaker that didn't go too far, didn't stray too far from. Um, what it had set out to do a long time ago. And I think by changing some of the core aspects of the brand, be it the badge or some of the easily identifiable aspects of the vehicle, it started changing people's minds about just how far Rolls-Royce can, can go. I don't know if that's true. Like, I think, you know, there's, there's degrees at this level of, of um, vehicle at this price point where these things make a difference and the, the marketing is all that really matters. But I think this is, this is what they're doing. This is how they're pulling it off. So, in your opinion, if yep. you were living a different lifestyle at night yourself, would you pay more for this black badge or would you be happy with the standard Rolls-Royce ghost experience? That's really tough. Um, the the black badge is, at starting price, $55,000 more expensive than the standard, whatever you want to call silver-badged uh, ghost. The- how much? Sorry? Fifty-five thousand. Okay, okay. So about the, about like fifteen to sixteen percent. 
Yes. And, um, sorry, I had to do, I'm not so quick with the math as you are, okay? Well, I mean, I'm just saying it might not be true. I just come out with it, and then I rely (laughs) on you to confirm or deny. Um, And all of the enhancements to the vehicle are uh, electronic. They're tuned. So the horsepower, there's no, it's, there's no difference to the hardware. It's just electronically, uh, they've changed the turbo, the, the, either the turbo or the, just the tuning there. The the suspension, the transmission shift points, that's all that's which that's changed. And um, there the the suspension system, which is an air suspension, just feels a little bit more stiffer, a little bit more rigid, uh, way less body roll. And I come to think of it as like an anti Rolls Royce in that regard, right? Like I think we talked a little bit about this with the Bentley um, Continental that you drove a few weeks ago. GT was it? The, yeah, the the yeah. Exactly. I can't remember what it was. Or flying spur. It's a flying spur. Um, and and there are moments where you can have. I think a normal Rolls Royce Ghost is very is a very um, luxurious driving experience. It's smooth. It's powerful. It's fast, and it reacts to your to your direction changes when it needs to. This one feels a little bit more engaging. You feel more of the steering. It is heavier. You hear a little bit more of the motor, which is weird for a Rolls Royce. And it just is a little bit more engaging. I, I find maybe if the if the owner was an enthusiast and wanted the Rolls Royce to be more engaging, this would be the choice for them. But I, if I was living that other lifestyle where I have a different profile at night than I do during the day, um, I would imagine they'd probably have a more enthusiast-oriented car that would be more fun and flashy and cool, right? Yeah, I like, agree. I don't think the idea of an enthusiast Rolls Royce makes a lot of sense. I mean, as long as it's m- somewhat more interesting to drive, sure, I get that. But I don't see them pushing into a, a segment of the market where people are who really consider themselves enthusiasts would be considering the Rolls alongside something that's an actual sports car. And I want to talk about two things specifically with the with this experience that I had. One, Rolls Royce told me that... Um, their clients, their customers, whenever they get into a car, they don't want to mess about with any drive modes or buttons. They just want to get in and drive. That's the experience that I learned from the the ghost drive that I had before. However, when we get into the, the black badge, there is a drive mode. However, this drive mode is called low. That's it, low. Okay? Low. What does it do? Is it like the deep conditions drive mode from Lincoln? No. Low starts the car in first gear rather than second, which is apparently the way all Rolls Royces behave. Yeah, Mercedes okay. has been doing that for decades. I thought with Mercedes you had to put it into a specific drive mode. I think it's like W or or something like no, that. Some of, the older, some of the older ones, they're just straight up always in second gear. Okay. You really floor it. <laughs> and then low mode also opens up uh, an exhaust baffle so that you can hear the, the motor a little bit more. And it changes the shift points and the speed of the shifts. That's it. That's what low does. Completely, like, to me, contrary to what the Rolls-Royce sort of ethos is of getting into a, a car that you have, you have spent probably a considerable amount of money customizing this vehicle to your needs and your desires, and now you have a drive mode that suddenly changes it, too. I'm not sure that's exactly the, the, the right Rolls-Royce sort of mentality here. What's so odd is that it's called low because low doesn't yeah. suggest high performance at all. It suggests I'm going to tow something maybe. <laughs> and I mean that's what I'm trying to say is low isn't a – it isn't really a sport mode. Okay, it starts in first gear rather than second and you hear the motor a little bit more and the shifts 
are later in the rev range and a little bit quicker. But like, is that really going to make a significant difference? It should have a name like attributes. It should have a name like Sparkle or something like that. You know, like well, something yeah. interesting. If the if the um, I think I've talked about this before. Rolls Royce has a has a social media network. Do you know what it's called? Oh, I'm gonna guess Trevor? it's called Low. <laughs> no, it's called Whispers. What? <laughs> I thought you remember this. I, I don't remember this. this. I'm sure we've talked about it. Okay, word. I, here's some free marketing <laughs> advice. Don't name your automotive social network aimed at a high class, high dollar clientele after a website that sounds like um, Ashley Madison spinoff where you're going to you're looking for like um, action on the side. I mean, it's yeah. not whispers is is it's it's the opposite of classy. It makes me feel like, you know, you walk in the room and everyone starts whispering gossip about you. It's, it's an odd name for a website associated with Rolls Royce. Isn't that the Rolls Royce client though? Like they no, want people to talk about them and and come up. There's like each person has more myth and legend than than reality. Whispers is the name of this of this. Um, so what I'm trying to say is like Whispers if, also I, sounds I, like the name of a cat assassin. Like I would yes. watch. I would watch a, a series on Netflix about Whispers, the cat who always murders. But I mean, like, hold on. First of all, isn't there a Batman supervillain called called Hush? There's a Batman supervillain called Hush, and I always found that to be a weird name. And Whispers, to me, sounds like Hush's Batmobile, right? Whispers is also pretty close to Whiskers, which is also probably why I was thinking of cats. Oh, okay. So um, I was thinking that they should be doing something a little bit more along – this low mode should have a name that's closer to – like, how can they be creative with Whispers but with their drive mode low? Like, that's it. Shout it out. Yeah, or <laughs> or deep conditions, <laughs> something that I well, keep coming conditions. back to. <laughs> okay, now I want to talk to you about what I learned was the um, was the creation of Black Badge. Apparently, there was this uh, event for owners, and uh, somebody showed up in a like matte blacked out um, version of their car. I think it was a Phantom or something. And was, it, first, was it 2009? Like what? Yeah. Was so uh, it was some. It was some. It was a little while ago. He was a drophead owner, and he showed up in this blacked out like model. And the CEO and other like uh, people from the from from Goodwood from like the automaker kind of grilled him about it. And it turns out that this guy was, from what I understand, was a surgeon. He's like known as Mr. Nice Guy during the during the week, but he said on the weekend he didn't want to be that guy, so he made this really like. Uh, sinister-looking um, Rolls Royce. Wait, 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 wait. So the origin story of of Black Badge is about a surgeon who's Mr. Nice Guy during the week and then morphs into some kind of psychopathic vigilante at night or on weekends. Like that's where this is going. He's yeah, like, so I took my I took my car, I made it all black, I soundproofed my basement. And let's just say I do a different kind of surgery when the sun goes down. That is messed up. And then Rolls Royce is like, apparently our owners are into this. They want to present themselves a little bit differently than they do during the day or the week. And uh, they started making this this ba- this whole brand in 2016 that has been surprisingly like successful for them. 27% of new Rolls Royce builds are black-badged models. Yeah, what I'm the- surprised by is that... 
there hasn't been a rash of Rolls Royce owners ending up in prison for horrific crimes associated with a lifestyle that Rolls Royce is now apparently facilitating with an entire line of automobiles. <laughs> and <laughs> you're like, don't worry, we don't have an emergency trunk release in the black badge. <laughs> and um, and the Cullinan, like the SUV model, which was supposed to, you know, sort of improve, like. Like every new SUV. Well, that's for a when you need. Brand. That's when your vigilante stuff really steps up, and you you can't. You filled the trunk of your your ghost, and it's, yes. it's time for a bigger trunk. Forty percent of Cullinan owners are black are, are black badge models, and forty percent of that forty percent have never been convicted of a violent crime. That's right. Um, I need to add the the cabin is as classy as ever in the in a Rolls Royce. It is super plush, really comfortable. There is a sizable distance between you and the driver um, when you're in the back seat or even the passenger seat. It just feels like you're always shouting at somebody, even though you really don't have to because the vehicle is much much quieter than you would imagine. Shout all you want, Sammy. No one outside the black badge is going to hear you. <laughs> They've made sure of that. <laughs> well, until you put it into low mode, and then you'll hear the motor, of course. I also want to add that they have a like, you know, whenever an automaker releases a new model, they usually make what's known as like a hero spec version of the car. Um, for this one, naturally, the exterior paint on this hero spec model is um, is black. It is apparently the um, I, I have this in quotes here the blackest black they've ever had. Okay. There are four coats of paint. It's hand polished. It's 120 pounds of paint. You know where they got that blackest black, right? <laughs> They asked that surgeon murderer to describe his nightmares. Yeah, that's right. So that was my experience in the Rolls-Royce Ghost Black Badge. It is a fantastic car. It just doesn't seem like what a Rolls-Royce should be in some places. It's not hardcore enough. It's not soft enough. It's this weird in the middle in between. It's it's badass. It is pretty cool for a Rolls-Royce. Um, and I guess that's what they're going for. So I guess mission accomplished there. So, um... I I drove a vehicle this this past week that is also I, kind of a special edition version of a vehicle that has a very established uh, ownership. And it's a vehicle that we've talked about on the show in the past. And uh, Sammy, you drove it. It was the 2022 Subaru Outback Wilderness Edition. The Wilderness, of wilderness. course, the Wilderness. I also love known, that we're keeping this up. Some people call it Wilderness, but if you're in the know, if you're a Subaru super fan, you're calling it Wilderness. Um, but you know, all this black badge talk makes me think about the Wilderness because uh, something you said to me a couple of weeks ago before I even got into the vehicle, and that was that you feel like the Outback has, you know. It's it's the flagship of Subaru. It's their SUV that everyone knows. It dates back to the 90s. It kind of launched the crossover segment in a lot of ways, or at least mainstreamed it. Mm-hmm. But um, of late, it's kind of gotten a li- not stale, but because there are so many other vehicles like it, it doesn't really stand out as much as it once did. I mean, it's it's still very good at what it does, but it's not an unusual vehicle. And you said that the Wilderness trim kind of made the Outback Outbackish again. It gave it a flair that it didn't ha- that it had kind of lost. Is is that am I paraphrasing you correctly? Yeah, you're definitely paraphrasing me right. Um I think what I tried to say was when the Outback first arrived, it was seen as kind of like a weird a weird mashup of a bunch of different ideas and then Subaru built on that on that on that theory uh each generation until it got to where it is now and now it kind of like it lost a little bit of its weirdness a bit of its quirkiness it became really mainstream and i don't know if it it feels 
you know, out, outbacky enough, right? Yeah, and so it, for those of you who aren't familiar with the wilderness, um, the reason it gets this this wild name is because it's designed to kind of pretend that it can go off road. And I say pretend because the Outback is already kind of decent off-road in a lot of ways. It has 8.7 inches of ground clearance, which is roughly what you'll find with like a Jeep Grand Cherokee and actually a whole bunch of Jeeps. Mm -hmm. Um, It has a decent all-wheel drive system, has this thing called X-Mode, which is kind of an electronic control that provides better torque management if you are in challenging conditions. And it, in general, if you're on like uh, a gravel road and it suddenly gets really muddy... You'll be okay if you're on a grassy track. Same kind of deal. You're not going to go rock crawling in an outback. And you're probably not going to go super mudding. You know, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, if there's a big, great big water hole, you don't want to just test the bottom of that. But in general, you're not going to get stuck too far from home. The what, what the wilderness posits is maybe you should get stuck farther from home by thinking you have more ability than you actually have. And it does that by giving the Subaru Outback another 0.8 inches of ground clearance. It has Geolander tires on it from Yokohama. And it has a a tune for the X-Mode system that uh, supposedly transitions between low-speed and high-speed driving. So it can kind of crawl forward at low speed. And then when you're driving more quickly, you don't have to shut it off. So that's kind of a difference between that and the, the, the standard X mode. Mm-hmm. And on top of all of that, you get a whole bunch of body cladding, like a whole bunch of body cladding. There's black plastic everywhere on the outside. My but it's not was, as if the Outback was lacking in body cladding. No, but this right? is like, even more body cladding. Very it's like it, shoulder pads on shoulder pads. Yeah, like. they changed the front bumpers and the, I think the rear bumper to give it different angles of approach and, and departure. And you can actually buy skid plates for it as an option. Uh, but in, in general, it's still the same vehicle with a little bit more ground clearance. And uh, Sammy, I think you're right in that the look of the vehicle, the look of the of the Outback Wilderness, it is it, it certainly is eye catching. My neighbor has a, a, my my tester was a dark blue with gold accents. My neighbor has a very nice that kind of dark green Outback. I think it's like a 2020 or 2019. And okay. he actually texted me to ask me if I had bought the Outback and, like, you know, what I thought of it and all this and should he trade his in. So if you're an Outback fan, you're probably going to like how this looks. I think it's Isn't a little... is that funny? I think that says so much about this. This guy already has... Isn't 2019 not the latest generation Yeah, model? it's the latest generation. Yeah. This is the same car. Like, yeah, it is... his is an XT as well. So that's the thing. that They both have the 260 horsepower turbocharged I form. love this. This says so much to me because I thought that when I first heard about the Wilderness trims, I was like, well, why do they need to make Outbacks more off-road oriented? And now apparently... They do because the the shoppers love that. They are like, demanding it. Not maybe not demanding it, but they're they're like they're like moss to a flame. Like they're like, yeah, I need a more I need a more rugged looking car for sure. Let's go with it. Yeah. So I I think in that sense, I think it really does kind of bring back that edge that the Outback once had, at least visually. And if not really in terms of performance i don't think it's that much better off-road i mean it's it's better enough that you might get overconfident and make a mistake and end up having to call someone with a jeep to tow you out uh yep. i think the standard outback is pretty darn good already but it, it's not that much more expensive so if you wanted to buy a, a wilderness it's thirty six thousand nine ninety five, and 
Hey, that's not bad. No, so if you compare it to it's 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 only a thousand bucks more, or actually a little bit more. I'd say fifteen hundred dollars more than the entry level XT. So okay. if you if you're buying the turbocharged version of the Outback, you spend a little bit more money and you get the wilderness stuff. However, it's if you want a, a just a regular Outback, it's ten thousand dollars less. So yeah. You don't have to get the wilderness to get all the off-road stuff that comes already kind of in the Outback package. And I think if you were going to get an XT, sure, maybe consider it. Uh, There's two other trims that are even more expensive. Like there's a $40,000 touring model, which has a nicer interior. Um, But it's not, it's not a, once you're in XT territory, you're in like a five to four to five thousand dollar price window where you know you're kind of just deciding what options you want in the vehicle at that point. Okay, so you've explained to me all about what, and I've driven this car. You've explained to the listeners what you're getting with this with this Wilderness Edition. Tell me what your experience was with this car. Is it does it meet any sort of standards in terms of outbackiness? Does it feel more rugged? Does it does it you so know? I have I have off roaded. Outbacks in the past. I did not get a chance to offer of this one. I I did test out the X mode system. It does actually transition back and forth really well. And I did. It's funny. I accidentally left it on, and I was driving around the, the special mode that it has uh, that comes with the the wilderness. And um, it, I, I hit a speed bump in my alley, and I was going really slow. Why isn't it called wild mode? I, that's a good – that's an oversight. You're right. Definitely should be called that Subaru. Okay, sorry. But I hit this speed bump, and I was going pretty slow. And as I crested the speed bump, it it locked the, the thing into, like, the crawl mode. And it, like, slow <laughs> crawled down the other side. And I'd forgotten, it was, I'd forgotten it was on. So it's doing its job, and I'm impressed by that. But uh, Wow, that's cool. But also going back to speed bumps. So for those who think you're going to be able to take the wilderness out on a trail and bang around – I if I was hitting a couple speed bumps at not as not a crazy speed and the rear of the vehicle does bounce and bang. Like it reminds you this is a unibody crossover that hasn't been ruggedized for abuse. Is that similar to what you experienced, Sammy? Yeah, absolutely. Um I, I just I don't know. I kind of enjoyed it. It was it, it it came together for me. There's a couple things as well, like so you're not gonna be able to bang around on a trail with it, but on the street it is does not hold the road as well as a standard outback. Yeah, uh, those tires are a bit like, not, the, like they're wiggly. bushy. Yeah, they're bushy, bushy and the ride height it's it's almost an inch, and you do feel it. I cornering in this vehicle does not feel as confident as a standard outback, and I think if you look at like skid pad results, you kind of see the same thing. So. So, yeah, it feels like an older outback. Come on now. No, the older <laughs> outback never felt like it. I mean, wobbly. No, it never felt wobbly. This okay. doesn't feel wobbly, but it does feel a little less certain of itself. <laughs> <laughs> it goes out with all that bling, all that body cladding, and it comes out less certain. It comes Uh-oh. out less certain. Uh, but I do want to mention, I mean, you know, I won't go too deep into cargo and comfort and all that stuff, because Sammy covered that when we talked about it the other time. Suffice it to say, there's a lot of room in the outback. You won't be disappointed. Lots of good cargo space. Lots of room in the second row. But I want to point out one last thing about this vehicle, and that's... It's not alone on the market, okay? This yeah. whole taking a crossover and making it look tough has become a subset of crossovers. I mean, there's already a Forester Wilderness now, which does exactly the same thing but in Forester form. But about a year or two ago, we got the Toyota RAV4 TRD Off-Road, which is a vehicle we talked about on the on the show. Yep. Uh, there's the Ford Explorer Timberline. 
And okay. if if you there's the new Mazda CX fifty. I mean, Which, even the Bronco Sport the, is a model alone. That exactly, is like, exactly. I was, I was about to say, it's made an entire badge based around soft roading. It's right? made an entire vehicle based around, yeah. <laughs> so this is a big trend, and automakers are getting in on it, and I think people are into it, and they're buying it, and good for them. I don't have a problem with it. I, I think just, this, is gonna, this is a fad that's going to end... It's it's gonna end in at, in within five years. I don't know if it's gonna still be around in five years. Like yeah, every, maybe. Everyone is, maybe. I mean, remember when? It's weird because I see a lot of people turning um, the what's the small Subaru cross track. Yeah, the cross track. I see a lot of people turning those into overland builds, like not yeah. real overland builds, but like mild camping overland builds. And as far as I know, Subaru hasn't done anything like that out of the box yet. Like mm-hmm. you can't get a version of that at the dealership. I think that would make a lot of sense because. I think the people who are buying, I think the people who are buying cross treks are young families who maybe or or young couples who are doing more adventurous stuff than an outback owner might. You know, like I do think outback owners do that stuff too, but it's kind of like a more affordable option. So I, again, aimed at youth. Um, anyway, maybe that's th- a cross trek wilderness is in the future. I think. That's what I think I'm – this is what I'm appreciating so much right now with whatever Subaru is doing, doing with this badge is that Subarus were known for being off-road and wilderness capable. I mean sorry, out-road, off-road and adventurous capable. But now they're building on top of that kind of like uh, branding, that image, and they're doing it from – they started with like their Halo vehicle with the Outback and they're moving downwards down the line as well with the with the Forester and I think a Crosstrek is sure to come. Um they're exhibiting their their image and what separates them from the get go in all of the in all of their products. I think that's really important. I think that's where because Toyota doesn't do that except for with the trucks. The trucks are TRD, and then suddenly there's also a TRD Rav Four. Does that is there like crossover there? Do you see the the that capability crossing over from the real pickup trucks? Um, and uh, body-on-frame vehicles all the way into the, the unibody one, I'm not sure you can make that leap as easily as you can with a Subaru, which has all of those products immediately. That but feel you, but you do capable. have to say, though, that the, the Subaru was probably inspired by the TRD Off-Road RAV4 because it came out much earlier. Yeah, that's so, true. Uh, additionally, Trackhawk versions of Jeep, um, unibody SUVs? Yeah, but I mean... Oh, not Trackhawk, Trailhawk, sorry. But I don't think... I mean, for Jeep has been building off-road unibody vehicles for a very long time. I don't yeah. think that... I mean, all the way back to the early 80s with the Jeep XJ Cherokee, that's a unibody vehicle. So uh, th- th- if you're building a unibody vehicle specifically to off-road with, that's one thing. But I think taking one and transforming it into something that maybe it's not with a with a bunch of body cladding and a few extra features and a little bit of ride height, I think that, you know that's kind of outside of Jeep's um, wheelhouse. Because Jeep is expected to be an off-road, bear, off-road brand. Very true. Anything else you want to you talk about with this Outback? Do you no. recommend it then? I don't necessarily recommend it. I don't not recommend it. I think if you're into the styling and you can take the handling um, hit on regular pavement, then go for it. There's no reason not to, to get it. I think if you're going to be doing regular off-roading, it's not the best bet. I'm curious as to whether you could just get the same level of ground clearance with some shocks and tires on a regular Outback and what not is have that to spend that, That's not $1,000, though. Uh, I guess. $1,500. Well, right? yeah, but I mean, it's still, it's $10,000 if you have a base Outback. So right. keep that in mind as well. I like it. I like this wilderness. I think it is, 
I, I really was not impressed with the Outback, um, like the standard Outbacks. And I think that the Wilderness gives it something to be kind of boastful about. Uh, this trim level gives it more capability, gives it more attitude, gives it a little bit more, you know, oomph. I mean, more capability uh, asterisk, right? Right. I mean, that it's, it mostly comes with the tires and that tuned X mode, I think, right? Yeah. So you can get new tires and shocks for any Outback. Um, you won't get that X mode, though. And I, I don't know if that makes the biggest difference. But I, I, to me, I just think this is what separates an Outback from, you know, like a Subaru. I mean, like a Honda. What's it called? Passport or another big SUV. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I want to talk about a car that has had trouble separating itself in some ways. It's the Nissan Rogue. Now, the Rogue is actually a pretty uh, competent vehicle. Should be It is one of the most best-selling vehicles um, in its segment and in, in the Nissan portfolio. No rugged but version, though, right? There is no rugged version. And um, I think I, I had a pretty easy time recommending it to people um, because it's a good blend of, um, of premium... Uh, or, or, you know, yeah, higher higher end. I don't know. It, it just felt a little bit more value. Sorry, what am I trying to say? Here? I don't know. Dude, you're all over like, the place. It felt like better value than the established players like the Honda CRV and the Toyota RAV4. And it also even felt a little bit more premium than those vehicles. So I think it was very easy to recommend. But there was a fatal flaw to the Rogue, and that was its powertrain, which was absolutely boring, like really dull. Um, and its fuel economy was not great, and it, that powertrain also resulted in a lot of noise. The old engine was a 2.5-liter four-cylinder engine paired to a CVT. It had 181 horsepower and 181 pound-feet of torque, and it just didn't feel like anything special. It certainly didn't feel next generation. However, Nissan has done this in the past with the Frontier. They've decided to give um, a, an older vehicle a next-generation powertrain, and I'm also not too sure about this. So going forward in 2022, in the United States, every single Nissan Rogue will feature a 1.5-liter, three-cylinder engine turbocharged with uh, Nissan's variable compression technology. Now, this, okay, is, a, so this is the engine that we saw in the Infiniti, what, QX50? And 55, as well as some trim levels of the Altima. Okay. And so the way this works is, um, depending on the load, the vehicle can change its um, its compression ratio to either deliver a little bit more power or a little bit uh, more fuel efficiency. Um, let me just uh, straighten it out for you here. Um, more power with a higher compression ratio or uh, better fuel efficiency with a lower compression ratio. I, I, yeah, I actually have a piece of that engine sitting on my desk right now. So now we're getting this technology. First of all, in my experience... <clears throat> with the VC turbo in the Infiniti QX50 was really um, average. It never felt particularly more powerful than a regular Turbo 4, and it never seemed more fuel efficient than a regular Turbo 4 either. And that's it, despite being with this very um, advanced powertrain and um, buzzy CVT. I'm, I was really worried about experiencing this in the Rogue because the Rogue is a pretty, like, it's a staple. You, I don't know if you can put this kind of technology into every single Rogue out there, right? I mean, I, this technology does not seem to have done what Nissan wanted it to do. I think that's right. kind of the bottom line. It's it's kind of like the, the, the EcoBoost motors, the early EcoBoost motors especially, that 
when when Ford put them in, they promised that they'd have tons of power, and then when you didn't want the power, you would just you know drive them normally, and you'd have great fuel mileage. But it turns out if you if you're in a truck, especially, and you're doing truck stuff, you need that power, and you're just always kind of in it on the turbo and you don't yeah. get the fuel mileage that you were promised. And I kind of feel like the variable displacement thing has had a similar wrap. I'm not saying it's the same technology that's making it that way, but it doesn't seem to like have kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. And I, I think that I think that based on my impression with the Infiniti QX55, this three-cylinder 1.5 liter engine is a is a different thing. It's it is a I can't be completely judgmental on it. I had it only for a very brief period of time. The engine puts out 201 horsepower and 225 pound-feet of torque, which is a really nice bump over that 181 horsepower and torque from the old one. So I think that's pretty good. Um, and fuel efficiency-wise in um, – let me make sure I have the the fuel efficiency right. All-wheel drive models obviously are going to be less fuel efficient than the, than the front-wheel drive models. You can expect about um, – 32 miles per gallon combined. Okay. Um, or up to 33, given the trim level. Well, all-wheel drive models get uh, 31 miles per, per gallon combined, which is pretty good. I'm, I, I, To me, the, the motor felt good. It's exactly what the motor should have been in the, in the Rogue. Um, additionally, it sounds a little bit like it has a little bit more of a low-end grunt rather than a high-end kind of whine. Kind of like half a flat six. Yeah, sure. Um, it has a little bit more of a grunt, a little low, a bassier exhaust note or engine note. It does not impact the the like cabin and, and comfort within the ca- like the noise levels in the cabin as much as the old v- vehicle did. I don't know if that's because there's more um, sound deadening or anything like that, but it just seems a little bit quieter. And um, I think that this is this is a very in- interesting and important um, update for the Rogue. But I'm really worried about this about this motor, I think they're going to be promising something on paper that will not, that will not meet expectations. But that brings up a completely different conversation. That is automakers game, the fuel efficiency tests, right? Like we know that Yeah, everyone knows that. Yes. So whenever an automaker boasts these numbers, do consumers still take them at face value? I think so, because I don't think people are generally aware that a lot of these vehicles are designed for the test. Which makes sense because safety is the same way. I mean, the reason you keep seeing vehicle um, – so vehicles today, they have much thicker pillars, at the, especially around the windshield, than older vehicles, right? And less right. glass. And a lot of that has to do with roof crush regulations. So what happens is that vehicles are designed for a certain level of roof crush and then – Every vehicle reaches that level, and then the test is like, okay, well, everyone's designed to make this to pass this test, so we're going to change to another test that requires a greater amount of stress on the vehicle in order to pass. So then your pillars get thicker again. And offset crash testing is the same thing. Everyone was able to do head-on crashes, and the dummies were walking out alive. We're not walking out alive. I mean, they're dead. <laughs> I, I mean, I hope they're dead. But um, what ended up happening is you'd have automakers who were designed specifically for the head-on test. But if they were hit from the side, people weren't as well protected. So they started doing these offset barriers where you would hit a barrier with just like the left or the right side of the car, which people claimed was more realistic to what was actually happening in in an accident. But it also has an element of, well, we studied for the test and now we're good at the test. We're not necessarily good at all tests. So fuel economy becomes the same thing. So then let's talk about that because there are some cars that meet those um, expectations of fuel efficiency a little bit easier than others. I find that 
turbos tend to be a little bit more difficult because they are much more reactionary to your your driving style, if that's fair. Sure. Um, when you're I mean, on they, it, they definitely can be. And then uh, hybrids seem a little bit more based on uh, a little bit more. Sorry, the difference between a, an advertised numbers in a, on a hybrid and the experience numbers uh, seem a little bit closer too. What I was saying earlier is that the VC Turbo that I experienced in the QX50 and 55 just never seemed close to the reality that they kept pitching us or the 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 dream that they kept telling us with these numbers. And I'm really worried that a lot of people are going to be seeing these figures advertised on the Rogue, get into a new Rogue, and will be completely disappointed by what kind of fuel efficiency they really get. I mean, it's entirely possible. We can't protect people from Nissan, Sammy. It's not our job. <laughs> But I want to, like, you know what I mean? I just, I really want to here. Well, you got to have attainable dreams, my friend. Um, overall, this new engine that um, that is forced upon everybody is about six hundred dollars more expensive uh, across the line. Um, so wait, sixty five hundred dollars more? Six hundred dollars? Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. It's like wow, six hundred dollars. <laughs> Um, you're getting into a front wheel drive S model for $26,700 and a fully loaded one for, um, an extra $11,000. So with all wheel drive. So 37,980 is the topped out model. Okay. So, I mean, I still think that the rogue is, is a, is a solid improvement, like uh, is a solid pick in this segment. I'm just worried what it's going to be like when there are like 200,000 of these, um, with these new motors that, Nobody had a, ch- a choice but to get well, with this weird technology, and don't worry, you know I mean? Sammy. They're not going to force you to buy one. I think you're going to be, <laughs> you're going to be okay. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, but I mean, if you remember when Honda, for example, made the 1.5 turbo available and much more, many more of its uh, Civics and CRVs, there ended up being a pretty significant oil consumption issue that took a little while to get um, exposed and then sorted out. And I can see that happening with the Rogue as well because. This is a new, untested technology, a new motor, and it's only available um, with this engine that is doing all sorts of interesting and uh, and unique things that we haven't seen in the market before. So if you're out there right now and you would like to talk to us about an untested technology that perhaps you've developed or is sitting in your garage, or maybe you just want to talk about something completely unrelated to untested technologies, we are ready to listen to you in so many different ways. You can get in touch with us. Uh, on the website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There is a contact form. You fill it out. You click send, and it arrives in our inbox. You can also find us on social media. Sammy is on Twitter, at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. You can find me on the friendlier and just generally softer Instagram, at Hunting Benjamin, or you can email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Additionally, if you liked um, this week's episodes, be sure to subscribe. When you go to our website, you can subscribe there. You can subscribe to your podcast uh, app. Additionally, you can uh, give us a little tip. You can go to ko-fi.com slash unnamed automotive podcast and uh, tip us for our work. Why not? Um, This is is episode 251, which means if we've been doing this for five years now, that's almost an episode every single week, which is pretty, pretty damn good, I think. Yeah, man. I'm pretty proud of our work. I mean, at the very least, you could be described as relentless. <laughs> yes, our relentless podcast. We're going to start next week. Uh, ben, what are you talking about next week? Uh, next week, I'm going to be talking about a vehicle that is so different from everything we talked about today. It is the Toyota Prius Prime, which we have somehow never talked about on the podcast, Sammy. I don't even know what that is. Great. Um, and I'll be driving a... Oh, they've changed the a trim levels here. It's the Volvo XC60B8? 
Okay. All right. Or B6. I don't know what it is. Whatever you say, Volvo. (laughs) Yeah. So I'll talk to you about that next week. Okay, Ben? All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye.